Hello, and welcome to another episode of the Breachside Broadcast, home of the finest foxcasting either side of the breach. Today's episode is about treachery, subterfuge, and deception. Magic runs strong in Malifaux, but stage illusions can be just as powerful. Murders can turn out to be mere misdirection, and sleight of hand can mean the difference between life and death. I hope you enjoy The Face Behind the Lie, right after this word from our sponsor. This episode of Breachside Broadcast is brought to you by the Star Theatre. Come to the Star for a night you'll never forget. Dazzling illusions, mind-bending displays of prestidigitation, exquisite mechanicals performing unbelievable feats of dexterity and elegance, and of course, the sublime beauty of Colette Dubois and her showgirls. Visit the Star Theatre for a night of entertainment utterly unlike any other. You won't find a finer venue either side of the breach. thing really. No one beside her had seen it in years. Not since she'd heard the old joke. How did it go? What's the difference between a high-born courtesan and a lowly lady of the evening? The quality of makeup. That had been the first trick she had learned. Before the cards. Before the doves the clockwork and the dancing. Before she'd even learned that a well-placed whisper or the touch of a finger at just the right time could make a man, and more than a few women, lose all composure. No. Her first trick had been this, turning the truth into something else. Every day, in so many little ways, it got harder and harder. Sometimes she ached to have a face like one of the mechanical marvels that were used around the hall. Porcelain, clean, perfectly structured for beauty. A blank slate to build upon whatever one wanted. Not like her face. Her real face. It was too wide, and her chin was too round. She did not have the best bone structure, and her lips were too thin. And you're getting old. A half-truth, of course. She was getting older, but was she yet old? Things were so different for men and women. A woman could be old at twenty, ancient at thirty, and forgotten at forty. Most men, it seemed, the world didn't even notice until forty. 
A man could go to war, learn a trade, marry, divorce, raise children. And still his life would only barely have begun at forty. She had trouble even imagining life going on at that age. To be forty. Crow's feet and liver spots. Her hair might thin. Her fingers twitched with a desire to shatter the mirror, as if that would change anything. No, the only way to change anything was that first trick. It was simple enough. Some concealer, making the hint of dark under eye circles and a few touches of acne or blemishes just seemed to magically melt away. After that, it moved faster. A dozen different little tools and bits of makeup. Soon she had cheekbones, the right ones, and her eyes got larger, dramatic, dark and mysterious. Her lips swelled, becoming wonderful and full. It matched her eyeshadow, and it made her look almost like an exotic painting. All the other tricks came from this one. It was true, she knew. She could charm anyone because of this trick. She could dazzle audiences and individuals alike. She could steal anything, hearts, watches, souls, thanks to this trick. It was this trick that had let her get to Malifaux, and it was this trick that had made it so she had been able to learn the other important trick. With a twirl of her hand, she produced a soul stone as if from nowhere. Actually, it had been in her palm for some time. Tilted just right so someone sitting across from her, or herself looking in a mirror, would see nothing. She rolled it over her fingers, and felt the power within it. Power she had learned to tap in ways no one else had ever dreamed of. Power only she had. Also a trick. Another twirl and the soul stone disappeared. At least to her view, watching herself in the mirror. That was how she'd learned or practiced. First you learn to fool yourself. And if you could fool yourself, you could fool anybody. The stone actually rested precariously on the back of her hand, and then in her palm once more. A casual shift, and it was on her thigh out of view, where she could move it at her leisure later. Tricks, deception, sleight of hand, shadow boxing. The door opened. It was Cassandra. It was always Cassandra. Beautiful. And as always, with a pang of jealousy, she had to admit, naturally. She didn't have her makeup on. Her hair wasn't done. She was in a comfortable robe and not in a tight-fitting dancer outfit. And yet Cassandra was still beautiful. Cassandra, for all her talent and dedication to the craft, as a dancer, as a magician, as a trickster, a seductress, she had trouble with the very basics. And why Cassandra is that? Because to you it all comes so naturally. So many things are just yours. This show's about to start. Are you ready? Cassandra didn't have to be on for almost an hour. She had time. Colette had to start the show. The clockwork doll with its faceless face that she found so comforting was beginning to slow its movements, signaling that her hair was nearly finished. How many are there tonight? It was a question she always asked. Cassandra didn't pout. She wasn't a pouter. But she did look away, brushed her hair back. For a moment she avoided the question. Why does it matter? 
Colette didn't respond. She worked on finishing her makeup. Cassandra relented. Sixteen. But I'm sure it's just from all the good press the show gets. People talk about nothing else. Your birds and the woman in the Storm of Swords routine, it's... Colette interrupted her. A new record. Every night it seems there are more and more of them. Cassandra didn't comment. It was the guild they were talking about. Members of the guild that riddled Malifaux like some kind of cancer. Cassandra nodded to herself. Well, you're on in ten. She waited a few more moments. Heavy moments. Then she was gone. Colette was left with the faceless doll and the her in the mirror. Her face was impassive. Her thoughts whirled. A delivery tonight through the tunnels. More guild members than ever. Eyes always watching her. Everyone always watching her. Ramos was very insistent on this delivery happening tonight, though. But first, her perfectly painted purple lips shifted. Her face lit up. The glum image in the mirror became one of light and glamour. A face of fun and the promise of something else, maybe. What a show it was. There was some variation night to night. Normally the showstopper was changed around at least once a month to draw in the new crowds, but the basic outline was always the same. It started small. Colette just on stage, walking out. No magic puff of smoke. No prestidigitation. Sometimes she came out from the audience or from backstage, she came out through the curtain and addressed the audience. She tried not to notice that among the guild members there was also a man who was obviously a witch hunter, by far the scariest sect of the guild, hunting down magic users of all kinds and doing away with them, dressed like some kind of colonial cowboy, watching her like anyone else in the audience. It gave her a moment of worry, but the show... Her patter was flawless. The audience was laughing within a minute, and she always knew that meant she had them. She started small. Her stylish top hat turned inside out, shown to be empty. She tossed it up, and out of it burst three mechanical birds of such exquisite perfection. Flying, flapping, soaring. The audience was now not just with her, but mesmerized. Everything that came after that first five minutes was dependent on that beginning. That first trick. They had to believe it. They had to at least pretend to believe. The first trick was most important. Even if all anyone ever remembered was the last trick. That one involved pyrotechnics disappearing, death-defying, more mechanical birds, dancers. It was quite a spectacle. It wasn't the only one. The dancing girls, of course, were what many people came to see. The dancing clockwork girls were something other people came to see. The magic, in many ways, what she did best, was there to tie it all together. This month, the finale was quite gripping. Her tied up behind a curtain. A dozen of the clockwork dancers with swords surrounding her. 
fire and fireworks shooting out as she was skewered by a storm of swords. The name of the trick. The flimsy see-through curtain would be pulled away by none other than Colette, showing that at some point the girl who'd been stabbed had become one of the clockwork dolls. The audience became an uproar of applause every time, though as Colette bowed, the fly mechanical birds that it took to the air with the fireworks circled back around and disappeared back into her hat. The signal the show was over. How it began, it ended. When the other dancer girls came out for their own bow, a standing ovation started. Cassandra got catcalls as always, and... Colette saw one man, six rows back, five chairs over. He did not stand. He did not clap. A dark coat and a dark hat, making him stand out among those wearing their brightest and best for their night out. He also had the eyes that most worried a magician. They were eyes that looked at what was important, not where they were directed. And who are you? There was the standard fallout, flirting with the audience as they left the theatre. Gifts, offers of marriage, autographs. She tried to catch sight of the man again, but she didn't see his dark hat or coat anywhere. Besides, the show had run long. They were already late and the delivery wouldn't make itself. Colette gave the nod to Cassandra, who gave a signal to the other girls, all of them making excuses to retreat back to the dressing rooms. The coffin was heavy but thankfully none of the girls were carrying it. That was for the clockwork dolls. Colette was often pressed to reveal just where she'd gotten them and who the manufacturer was, but she was not about to reveal any of her secrets, let alone that one. Cassandra led them down the tunnel. It was where most of the funding for their little theatre came from. Though ticket sales were nice but gear-feathered birds and clockwork marvels like those carrying the coffin couldn't be afforded on a poultry matinee earning. The theatre had a series of tunnels that seemed to have been part of the old sewer system built by whoever had built the city, long since abandoned and dried up, though they weren't pleasant. There were five of them down there tonight, if you counted her and Cassandra, and another five clockwork dancers. Excessive, perhaps, but the tunnels weren't just hers. They were a honeycomb of black market travellers getting to and from the quarantine zones unseen. Cassandra and the other girls tittered away about nothing. It wasn't long, though, before Cassandra's soft voice spoke to Colette, noticing she wasn't participating. You seem worried. Like a good friend. Sweet. Caring. Colette answered her concern with a bored expression, one that had ruined the ego of more than a dozen men. Cassandra stopped trying to talk with her. The other girls caught the scent of it, and were soon silent as well. Colette had often wondered, at first, what kind of things were in the delivery she made. As a go-between of Ramos and his black market connections, it was bound to be something interesting. That curiosity had faded with each trip through the tunnels. 
Each time the delivery man had dropped off whatever box to be kept backstage among the other supplies for the show. Each time she'd had to perform while the guild watched, knowing there was enough evidence under her feet to have her hung for any number of crimes, if they dared to look. It had gotten old fast. Now it was just a job. A dangerous one, that. She heard them first before she saw them. She could tell by the footsteps they weren't guild. Guild walked with a purpose. There was no shambling, no clumping of old worn boots. There were maybe twenty of them, coming around one of the sewer tunnels. She knew they had come looking for her specifically. Or probably more what was in the coffin. They had not yet gotten out of the tunnel network under her part of the city, which no one who was not coming to her theatre used. They were ruffians, brass knuckles, axe handles, unshaven, the lot of them making the smell of the want sewers worse than it had been before. A few had attempts at class, a coattail here, a cane there, but it was a mockery of the real thing. Give us the coffin, and none of your pretty ladies need to get hurt. The one speaking stretched a loop of chain between his hands, in a way he no doubt considered menacing. One of the others cracked a bat against the stone wall. Cassandra had yet to pull the sword that she kept at her hip, which was nice of her. It gave the men a chance to realize their mistake. The click of Colette's heels echoed through the tunnels, and she stepped out in front of her pretty protégé. I do doubt that I am in any danger of getting hurt by the likes of you. The sound of a hammer being pulled back, letting her know one of them, or more, had one of those awful firearms. Smoky, nasty things. Yeah, if you give over the coffin, that's true. So just... He didn't finish what he was about to say. Colette lifted her hand up and gave the smallest twist. As the artificial soul stone she used for such things faded, though its power would soon return. The twist was not to the air, but to him. A trick she'd learned quickly, and for those weak it was quite effective. Reaching up and twisting the very lines of energy that made the man, all that he was became undone. It was not as graphic as it could be, a gasp, a step, clutching his chest. He hit the ground and did not move. Colette blew softly along the tip of one finger, like it had been a gun, her eyes scanning the other nineteen men. She knew if they had been men themselves, the lot would have broken and ran. But they were just women. She mentally marked out the most dangerous. The tall one with the hat. The short one with the moustache. The man with the bat the one on the left concealing the gun. With barely any movement, she pointed them out to Cassandra as well. The other showgirls stepped back. They could fight, but why would they need to? The Corifei, those wonderful clockwork dolls, stepped forward in their place. Cassandra drew her sword, and as Colette knew they wouldn't, the men did not run. A mistake. Blood followed. The clockwork dolls had been outfitted with blades, and Cassandra was a blade. She held a sword, but she was death. Six of the charging men were dead before a moment had passed. Cassandra herself had removed the tall one's head, the short one with the mustache's left arm, and the one with the concealed gun. 
He was too busy now keeping his insides in to fire. The dancing clockwork dolls moved with the grace that had brought people to the Star Theatre night after night, though Colette doubted many of them would cheer seeing this. She smirked, staying back to protect her girls as she needed to, watching Cassandra's back just in case, ready to twist another man into. The one with the bat actually knew what he was doing. Really, he didn't belong with the rest of the clods. She saw one of the clockwork dolls go down, head crushed as he came forward. She raised her hand, but he was faster. It was just a rock, but it was aimed with a dangerous precision. The soul stone she was keeping so carefully palmed in her offhand went flying and skidding down the alley as he continued to rush forward. The other girls were too far back. Cassandra noticed, but the distance was too great. And the dolls, while they did what they were told, they weren't known for solid panic thinking. And Colette was good at many, many things. But she would be the first to admit a straight-up brawl was not one of them. The sadistic glee on his face as the bat came down, crumpling that fancy hat, was lurid. She didn't care for it much at all. The flash was blinding as bat impacted skull. He stopped for a moment, and then went to hit her again and again, and he saw that what crumpled before him was just one of the clockwork dolls. You trust your ass far too much, I'm afraid, said Colette's voice. She was way too far away. It was impossible. Cassandra hadn't missed a beat cutting down men. Those still standing stared, amazed at what had just happened. Colette was posed, as the man with the bat could only stare. She took her hat off and gave him a deep bow, holding it in front of her. And then she flipped it over. Three mechanical doves burst from inside. He was good, but their wings were very sharp. Those still not cut down took that as a good moment to leave. They wouldn't get far. With a nod of her head, Cassandra sent the Corifei after them. One of the dancing girls kicked at a still-twitching corpse. Meanie? Yes, Colette mused. But someone told them we would be here, and when. We're going back to the Star Girls. I don't like surprises. And Ramos can come yell at me personally if he wants. Thankfully... Enough of the clockwork dolls had survived the fight that none of them needed to help carry the coffin back. Cassandra, as always, cleaned her sword. Colette's hand fell on her shoulder, and she smiled. It was, admittedly, one of those smiles she used for parties. But Cassandra got the intention, and smiled back. Colette was furious, as she sat in the basement with all the random odds and ends from the show. Boxes and saws, gears and fireworks, and the coffin. She had half a mind to open it and sell whatever was inside herself. But Ramos was not a man to tread so lightly around. Still, clearly he had trusted the wrong people. If it had been one of her girls, which would never happen, Things would have gone much worse. It had been one of his enemies, trying to steal his trinkets. She stomped around the coffin. It was probably packed to the gills with soul stones, or the corpse of some ancient powerful evil waiting to be 
she gave a frustrated groan. The other girls were busy breaking down the stage. Cassandra had been left in charge, and so Colette was here, staring at this coffin. She'd already sent angry word to Ramos. She shouldn't have been surprised when she found the man in the dark hat and the dark cloak standing in the basement with her. No idea how he'd gotten there. That's a nice coffin, his gruff voice said, his hands in his jacket pockets. She knew the difference between someone pretending to be holding something dangerous out of sight and actually having something dangerous just out of sight. He was dangerous. Oh, yes. Did you want to try it out, sir? She couldn't help it. Her dark lips gave him a charming smile, her hand palming a soul stone. She hesitated. She saw him notice, saw his eyes look to the hand taking the soul stone. Not her lips or her breasts, not the way her hips swayed or the subtle shift of her other hand. He was very dangerous. She wasn't sure she'd be able to... The thunk of boots on the wooden steps gave them both pause. Uh, Colette doesn't like to be disturbed, and... Leave us. She heard the voice of Yasser, one of the newer girls, being shooed off. Who was it, then? It would have to be someone of standing, means, probably from the guild to be able to force his way down here. His loud boots soon brought him into view. The witch hunter. She saw the look in the eyes of the man across from her. He was just as upset to see this as she was. The witch hunter walked slow, dressed in brown, one of those showy greatcoats, and a very rugged hat. Man, he tipped it to her. He did not tip his hat to the other gentleman. She noticed this. She savoured it. It was possibly her way out of this mess. My name's Donner. No need to be formal. This isn't a formal visit. I just happen to be looking into some rumors. Magic. Mayhem. Devilry. The witch hunter, Donna, apparently still hadn't even looked over at the dark-dressed man who seemed ready to run, fight, or stay invisible. Colette played it up. Her eyes, her hand against her bosom, innocently drawing the eye to the curve she possessed. A half-curtsy, the obvious grateful tone in her voice. The man in black rolled his eyes. Oh, well, sir, my name's... I know who you are. Everyone does. Wonderful show you have, Donna said, as he walked about the room in that same slow way. Hands on his hips, his eyes falling on the different objects in the room. How do you manage all those little tricks? Well, you know what they say about a magician. She... Better hope her magic ain't legit. Her blood ran cold. He knew. She was going to have to kill him if she could. He'd never get out of the Star Theater alive. Never. They could dispose of the body. And what about you, gent? You're just paying Colette Dubois here a friendly call? She'd almost forgotten about the man in black. Witch hunters tended to give her tunnel vision. He seemed at a loss for words, but Colette minced over. A lady would indeed have to explain why she was with a man on chaperone. 
her hand moving out to test in a flirty way on the man in black's shoulder. But I can hardly be called a lady. She leaned against him. He seemed quite thankful for the moment to consider his words, and of course, who wasn't thankful to have Colette leaning against him? That's right, sir, his gruff voice said. I'm just here because I... After the show, we got to talking, and he was just so charming. Her hand drifted across his chest. He wanted to see backstage, and then he wanted to see where we kept all the set pieces, and, uh, and oh, well, here we are. I don't even know his name. She smiled in an empty kind of way. Richter, the man in black said. An obvious alias. As he straightened up, Colette slid off him in a practiced way. Richter, eh? You look a lot like a man I've seen a sketch or two of. Though maybe not just like him. Maybe not just like him. Donna continued to walk around slowly. He didn't pull out a cigarette. But Colette couldn't shake the feeling he wanted to. Just to help with the slowness of the scene. She minced away from Richter. Oh, he does? Who does he look like? Richter shifted. Myself. Not like anyone else. No, that's not quite true. See, you look a lot like this one fella known as Handsome Bill. Only you're not quite as handsome. So I'm thinking maybe his brother. Richter tried to hide it, but she saw the shift. A notorious spell slinger. Steals soul stones and causes all kinds of ruckus he shouldn't. Soul stones, Colette said with a gasp. Is that what that was? She was over behind Donna now, having shifted almost unseen from one end of the room to the other. Both men looked at her, a bit perplexed. What what was? Donna asked curiously, tipping his hat up. Why, that strange colored jam he has on him. Colette pointed wide-eyed. Wide, dumb, worried, horrified eyes. Pointing at Richter, Donna turned to the dark-dressed man who just looked confused. I don't have anything like that on me, Richter said, standing. His hand went into his jacket, where the weight was different. And even before his sentence was finished, sure enough, he pulled out a soul stone glowing with a faint light that let anyone know it was charged with the power of the dead. I've never seen one before, so I just thought it was pretty, Colette said. She winced internally. That was laying it on a little thick. But Donna and Richter didn't seem to notice. Both men's jackets shifted open. Richter had a gun, slung low, simple and loose in the leather, meant to be easy to pull. Donna had a short sword strapped diagonally along the small of his back, set up to be pulled quickly and to strike in the same motion. They were close enough to one another, but yet not so close that neither weapon had much of an advantage. This isn't mine. Don't you make a move. If you make a move, I will cut you and watch you bleed all over this nice lady's floor. I said, the stone isn't mine. Don't you move. Won't you two just calm down, Colette said, a very feminine flutter in her voice. Richter didn't listen. First he moved, and then both men moved, 
Clelette let out a scream. The sword strike was clean. Ripta's gun had never cleared leather. The hammer had gotten caught on the edge of his holster. True to Donna's words, the man in black bled all over the floor. Donna shook his head. Hate to see this kind of thing. Makes my job a lot easier. But now I can't ask him too many more questions. It's a downside to them being dead, after all. Colette did her best to pale and look shell-shocked. You... you killed him? She had to fight the smile deep down. Comes with the territory, man. He was probably thinking of doing that to you. It was anything like his brother, quite the murderous type. So, I can't imagine you want to talk much, but I did notice this coffin here. Well, it doesn't quite match the rest of what you got down here. All ominous and all. He moved away from the body and to the coffin. She let another soul stone drop into her hand. It's just a prop. Ready. She might only get one chance. He was fast. Is it now? Mind if I look? I don't remember any coffin in your show. He moved over to it, putting his foot against the top of the coffin. She had to admit, she was curious as well, so she waited a bit. If you really want. It's for a new show, though. And, sorry, I'm flustered. I don't see men killed every day. Not every day. Of course, ma'am. You're just so innocent and sweet. You wouldn't have anything dangerous in here, just... He kicked open the coffin. There was a plume of dust. She was ready to move when he saw what it was. But she wanted to see too was sawdust, he said with a confused scratch of the back of his head under his hat. Not what I was expecting. Not what she was expecting either. It's to get the weight right. Makes it feel like there's something inside. It was a lame lie, but he was off balance enough to take it as true. Huh. Well, I'll be. I'm afraid this is a crime scene, man. I'll need you to go upstairs. And I want to talk to the other girls and you some more. But it seems like this was mostly a bad man in the wrong place. He seemed perplexed beyond words. She nodded and headed up the stairs. Awfully lucky his gun caught on his holster. Not used to gunslingers making that mistake. He normally keep them all oiled and folded back just in case. Constantly checking to make sure it don't become dog-eared. Awfully lucky his was... Awfully lucky, she agreed and glanced back. Her eyes narrowed as she saw him looking at the coffin, confused. Someone had told him about the coffin as well. Everyone had known what was going down tonight, but it had all been a lie. A trick. The first trick being the one that made the whole thing fall into place. Ramos. There had never been anything in the coffin. Classic misdirection. He'd let the rumors float freely. He'd let his enemies and his friends know about his great new shipment. He'd sat back and just waited to see what had come out of it. It had been masterfully done. A lovely magic trick. Get the audience to do the work for you. 
Always the best. Always worked so smoothly. Always just little pieces in his games. She continued her way up the stairs. The rest of the night went about as well as it could. More guild members, though they were able to keep the hidden tunnel system hidden. The body was cleaned up. The girls all performed wonderfully teary displays when they were interviewed. Cassandra had half of them in love with her before the night was done. It would be good press, actually. Murder of the Star Theatre. They'd be packed for months. Colette thought about magic and subterfuge. About her place, having worked so hard to end up right in the middle, under the thumb of so many dangerous people. She'd found herself feeling trapped recently, worried that at any moment any number of hells could rain down upon her. But maybe she'd been thinking about it all wrong, with just the right trick. Maybe all those hells could rain down on one another. Maybe it was time to stop being stuck in the middle. One good trick was all it would take. Colette looked into the mirror as she removed her makeup, the real face behind the lie that no one ever saw but her. And for the first time that entire day, she gave a very genuine smile. I hope you enjoyed this episode of the Breachside Broadcast. Join us next time for more Tales of Malifaux.